Good morning, Plum Creek. We are super glad that you're with us today, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. And I especially want to welcome anyone who may be new to our church. Maybe you're visiting today. It's great to have you with us. I hope you had a good week. We've had a good weekend around here at church. Last night, uh, the kids' ministry put on the Fall Family Festival, and man, we had a blast Lots and lots of new faces here, and I want to thank anyone who served to make that event possible. And I also have to thank God for the perfect weather. Man, that was amazing. Well, I am excited to dig into God's Word this morning, uh, but before we do that, I want to check in real quick on our kingdom challenges. Uh, many of you know what this is about, but uh, for those who don't, a kingdom challenge is connected to the big theme that we have here at Plum Creek in 2022. We've set aside this year to focus on the kingdom of God. And all through the year, we've been praying these words that Jesus told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So basically, with this prayer, we're asking God to bring up there, down here. And the cool thing is, we get to be a part of this. God wants to partner with us to help his kingdom grow and expand. And these kingdom challenges are a part of that. Here's, here's how they work. About a month ago, on September 25th, many of us chose an envelope, like the ones you see on the display in the back of the room here. And inside the envelope is some challenge that could have an impact for God's kingdom. There were 16 different challenges. Uh, eight had a local focus, eight had a global focus, and you didn't know which one you were going to get. And when a family opened that envelope, they had to decide whether or not they would accept the challenge. And it was really encouraging. Many, many families did accept. They said, we're, we're going to take this on. And I wanted to bring this up because we're at just about the halfway point right now. We're supposed to complete these challenges by Thanksgiving. And I've already heard some really good stories. For example, one of the challenges has to do with the Plum Creek Sharing Center. Uh, every month, the third Saturday, we have a food share next door here in the Life Center. And this particular challenge has two parts. Part one, you volunteer at Food Share in October and November. Part two, you get to know some of our guests there, and sooner or later, you invite them to join you for lunch, either over at the Life Center after Food Share, or you meet at a restaurant or something like that. So it's not just about giving away food, it's about building relationships, which is really cool. But last week, some of the volunteers were there, uh, for the first time, and, and I talked to a few of them, and they said, this is a little out of my comfort zone. But they're also seeing how God can work through a challenge like this, and they're excited about that. So this is a great opportunity, and if you never got one of those challenges, you're still welcome to go back and get one today. Just You don't have 60 days, you have 32 days, exactly. And over the next month, we need to pray for each other encourage each other to complete these challenges and let God use us for the work of his kingdom. And we need that prayer. We need that encouragement. You know why? We need that prayer and encouragement because there are so many things that can prevent us from being involved in kingdom work. Sometimes we just get busy or distracted. 
Sometimes we're intimidated by what God may call us to do. And then sometimes we hit a season where life gets really hard. You get hurt or discouraged or sad or overwhelmed. And and these kind of things can just take you out of the game. But that brings us to the sermon series we're in right now. No matter what happens. In this series, we're we're reading through one chapter in the Bible, John chapter 16. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, go ahead and pull that up, John 16. In this chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's in the middle of a farewell address. It's actually the night before he goes to the cross, and he knows what's coming, but the disciples don't know. They're about to go through this time of great hardship and grief but Jesus wants them to be ready for that he wants to help them stay strong he wants to help them keep doing what God has called them to do no matter what happens so let's let's dig into this we're gonna walk through John 16 verses 16 to 24 this morning and as we begin I want to read just the first half of the first verse in this passage John 16 16 Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about a couple things, probably, but one thing is his own death. In less than 24 hours, Jesus would go to the cross, and his disciples would lose their teacher and their leader. They'd lose the best friend that they ever had, and and also he was much more than that. The disciples had come to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And it's hard to imagine just how devastated they would be after his death. They experienced a deep and profound grief. And I know some of you listening right now have also experienced a deep and profound grief. Now, not, all, not all of us have seen the worst kind of grief, but all of us know at least a little of what it's like to lose something or someone that you love. This week I saw a quote from a guy named Charles Schultz. You may know that Charles Schultz was the creator of Snoopy and Charlie Brown. And listen to what he said. He said, why can't we get all the people together in the world that we really like and then just stay together? I guess that wouldn't work. Someone would leave. Someone always leaves. And then we would have to say goodbye. I hate goodbyes. I know what I need. I need more hellos. It's sad but true, isn't it? Someone always leaves. And I don't want to bum you out, but this is going to happen with every person you care about. Sooner or later, in one way or another, one of you will leave and whoever is left behind will grieve that loss now here in john 16 the disciples are the ones who are about to be left behind we're going to read the whole passage but i want to fast forward and read just one verse that's a great summary of everything that jesus says here john 16 22 jesus says in this verse Now is the time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. 
This is a great verse because you got good news and bad news in the same sentence. Jesus says, yes, you will grieve here in the short term, but that's not the end of the story. Your, your grief will turn into joy. I'm going to bring you that joy, and when I do, no one will take it away. Here's the exciting thing. What Jesus says to the disciples here can also apply to us today. And as we uh, look at this, I want to make sure we understand what Jesus means by these two words, grief and joy. This is important because grief is the bad news and joy is the good news. So I, I looked it up. Uh, I looked up the, the original Greek word that's translated here as grief. And it's the Greek word lupe. And lupe has this definition. It's sorrow, pain, and affliction, especially among those who mourn. It's an emotional and spiritual pain that comes from losing something or someone that you love. And that's kind of our normal definition for the word grief, but joy is a little different here. We talked about this a couple months ago when we were in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the dictionary tells you that joy is basically happiness, pleasure, kind of a synonym. It's a good feeling that comes from your well-being or from success or good fortune. And to get that kind of joy, things have to be going well. But the Bible version of joy is, is a little different. Here's, here's a biblical definition. God's kind of joy is a deep and spiritual gladness that doesn't depend on favorable circumstances. So this kind of joy, it's not superficial. It goes very deep. And it's also something that doesn't come naturally for us. What, what comes natural is that you're happy in the good times and you get down in the bad times. So this is a spiritual kind of joy. It's something you can't conjure up on your own. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the, the movies or the books, you, you know there's a, a, a wizard named Gandalf here. And in, in this book, J.R.R. Tolkien describes Gandalf as someone who has a very deep joy. There's a, a section where uh, this hobbit named Pippin is with Gandalf, and Pippin is, is looking at Gandalf in the face, and, and then here's what it says. In the wizard's face, he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Now, Gandalf is just a fictional character, of course, but that description is pretty similar to God's kind of joy. With this joy, it doesn't matter what happens on the surface. The, the circumstances in your life can't touch it. Things might get bad, very bad. But what did Jesus say to the disciples? He said, you will rejoice, and no one will take away that joy. But what if I'm having a bad day? What if my kids are driving me crazy? No, this joy runs deeper than that. What if I have some very real, uh, very uh, accurate concerns about what might happen in the future? I've got some fears about that. No, the, these fears can't touch that joy. Well, what if I lose my job or my health? 
someone I love. I know it sounds extreme, but this joy is unshakable. And it is available to everyone who belongs to Jesus. And he explains how to find it right here in John 16. So let's go back and look at this passage. And just a quick review from last week. Uh, Jesus just made a disturbing announcement to the disciples. He said, I'm about to leave. I'm going to leave you behind. But guess what? Me leaving is actually going to be better for you. Now, how could that possibly be better? Well, Jesus said something else. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to help you. And this is a very big deal because the Holy Spirit is God himself living within you. He's an advocate, a counselor, an encourager, a comforter. He's all those things and much more. So it's going to be a great thing for the disciples when the Holy Spirit comes. But first, they have to go through this time of grief. Let's jump back to John 16, 16, and we'll read a little more this time. Jesus went on to say, In a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. And at this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. These guys are so confused. You kind of feel bad for them. They have no idea what's about to happen, and they're getting stressed about it. In our family, I, I see this kind of stress on a regular basis. We have one particular child who always wants to know what's about to happen and when it's going to happen. When, when you're on a road trip with this child, you get the same questions over and over again. How long till we get there? What are we going to do when we get there? What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do three weeks from tomorrow? It goes on and on. But the truth is, most of us are like this. Most of us are not big fans of uncertainty. When you feel like something bad is about to happen, you want to know what's coming because you want to be prepared, right? And to be fair, Jesus is a little confusing here. In a little while, you won't see me. In a little while more, you'll see me again. What is he talking about there? Well, the truth is, Bible commentators don't always agree on the, the interpretation of this because it works on multiple levels. You can think about Jesus going back to heaven and then there's the second coming where he, he comes again. But it also works in the short term because Jesus was about to go because he was going to die. And then they'd see him again because he would come back to life. And that's a great vantage point for us. We can look back and we can see the cross and we can see the empty tomb. But the disciples didn't have that perspective. They just don't know what they don't know and they can't see what they can't see. And in fact, it was that way ever since the disciples started following Jesus. If you go back to John, 20, uh, John 2, 22, it, it's interesting uh, because over and over again, he alluded to the fact that he was going to die and rise again. And over and over again, the disciples just didn't get it until it actually happened. John 2, 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So it was like, ah, that's what he meant. And 
this is so cool because Jesus called it ahead of time. It's kind of like that legendary baseball game where Babe Ruth called his shot. You heard about that? The Babe, he pointed out to center field like, I'm about to hit a home run right there. And then he does it. Now, many people will say that's not how it actually happened. But in the case of Jesus here, that is how it happened. He predicted his death and resurrection again and again. And then it happened. The prediction came true. But back here in John 16, the disciples aren't there yet. They're, they're looking at each other like, I have no idea what this means. What's he talking about? But I love how Jesus handles this. He doesn't get impatient, and he doesn't leave them hanging either. He, he gives them a vision for what their future holds. Look at verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So Jesus knows these guys aren't tracking with him, but again, he's patient. He's like, I get it. You don't know what you don't know. And Jesus doesn't want to get very specific here. He doesn't talk about the humiliation and the beatings and this gruesome death that's coming in just a few hours at this point. But he is honest. He says, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. When you watch me suffer and die, it's going to be like a punch to the gut. But hang in there. Because your grief won't last forever. Your grief will be swallowed up by unshakable joy. And then to help the disciples understand, Jesus gives them an interesting metaphor. In verse 21, he says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, I have been told that childbirth is painful. I have also been told that men should never, ever compare their pain to the pain of childbirth. So don't say it's like passing a kidney stone. Don't compare it to getting kicked in the last place you want to be kicked. Just don't do it. And I think that's very good advice, so I'm going to keep it simple. Giving birth hurts. It does. But what does Jesus really mean here? Is he saying that a woman literally forgets the pain of childbirth? Not really. He's just saying that on the other side of that pain, there's a beautiful thing. There's a child. And that child brings a joy that makes all the pain worth it. And then right here is where Jesus makes the statement that we read earlier. He says, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Man, that's a great promise, isn't it? There's a lot of hope in that promise. But you know what? I can't help but think about the fact that in the coming years, the disciples would suffer a lot. They would be arrested, beaten, Many of them would be executed because of their commitment to Jesus. So is it 
really true that through all those trials and tribulations, through all that pain and suffering, is it true that no one ever took away their joy? Well, let's remember that biblical definition of joy. God's kind of joy is a deep spiritual gladness that doesn't depend on favorable circumstances. And it is true. The disciples carried that joy through the rest of their lives. But how does that work? How is it possible to rejoice even when you go through a time of suffering? Where does that come from? Well, this is the best part. That joy comes from being in the presence of Jesus. And the disciples got to experience his presence. They experienced that joy when Jesus rose from the dead. But then later on, they experienced his presence in a different way. You might remember shortly before he went back to heaven, Jesus made this interesting statement. He said, surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. But now how does that work? If Jesus goes back into heaven, how can he say that he is still with them? Well, that goes back to something we read earlier. Jesus said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will be with you. And by the way, in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. So in that way, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus was with them. And in that way, Jesus can be present with us today, which means the joy is available to us today. But how do we access that joy? Well, that's what Jesus says in the last part of this passage. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. But ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So that's it. Just ask in the name of Jesus, and you'll receive the joy. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Maybe too simple. Because let's be real, even if you are a follower of Jesus, sometimes you don't feel his presence. And even if you are a follower of Jesus and you have asked for that joy in his name, sometimes you don't feel it. So what do you do with what Jesus said here? Do you just kind of move on like, oh, I guess that doesn't apply to me? No, you don't have to do that. There's just a couple things we need to understand. First, we need to understand that joy and sorrow can coexist. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. In the Gospels, Jesus wept repeatedly. He went through some very difficult times. He hit some very low points, but he still had this joy through all of that. There's another thing we need to understand. You and I are leaky buckets. We're leaky buckets. Because when God pours joy into your soul, it has a tendency to leak out. You know what I'm talking about? On some days, your, your bucket is just cracked here and there, and, and the joy leaks out kind of slowly. But then on other days, life kicks a massive hole in your bucket. Point is, all of us leak. And that's why we have to go to God again and again and again every day, sometimes all day, and ask him for that joy in the name of Jesus. And the good news is, over time, 
We can learn to hold on to this joy. God will start to patch up those holes and seal the leaks. But we do have a part to play in this. You and I, we need to cling to the joy that comes from Jesus. And to do that, we need to hold on to at least these four truths. Four things that are true for everyone who follows Jesus. We have to go back and remember these things again and again. Number one, I am loved by God. No matter what's happening, you can give your cares, concerns, worries, anxiety, you can give that over to Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Because He loves you. Number two, I am accepted by God. It's the miracle of grace. And we don't deserve to be accepted. We don't deserve His approval, but Jesus made that possible. It's possible through His blood. Number three, God is with me. Jesus never promised a trouble-free life for any of us. In fact, it's the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. We'll get to that next week. But he also said, I have overcome the world. And in our toughest moments, when we feel like we need a solution to our problem, what we really need is the presence of Jesus. The one who has overcome the world can overcome whatever is going on in your life. And then, number four, in the long run, all shall be well. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right, when the reality is everything's not going to be okay. But we're not talking about some random person who tries to put a good face on a bad situation. We're talking about God himself, the all-powerful all creator of the universe. And when you put your trust in him, man, he will eventually set things right. He's promised to do that. In the long run, all shall be well. Your joy will be unshakable. Before we leave these truths, I need to make an important distinction. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, go ahead and draw a line between the first and second truth there. Because here's the thing, I need to be clear about this. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, nothing below that line applies to you. Nothing. Now, number one, that's true. You are absolutely loved by God. Jesus died on the cross. He took your place. He paid the penalty that you deserve to pay. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die. You are loved. But then these other things, man, until you accept God's offer of salvation, the salvation that only comes through Jesus, you don't have these gifts. God wants you to have these gifts. He, he wants you to receive the, the grace and acceptance that comes when, when you accept the gift of salvation. He wants you to, to, to receive his presence through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, he wants you to be able to hold on to that promise that all shall be well. That's, that's what happens when you spend eternity with God. That's when all shall be well once and for all. But to receive those gifts, you have to give him control of your life. You have to put your trust in Jesus, turn away from your old life. You have to declare that Jesus is your Lord and your master. You need to be baptized into a watery grave and rise up to live a new life with real joy. 
outside of Christ, it's not possible to have real joy. I mean, how could you have that joy if you don't have that acceptance from God, if you don't have his presence, if you don't have the, the promise that all shall be well? Man, trying to have joy without those things, it's delusional. But when these four truths become a reality in your life, your joy really is unshakable. You know, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about all of this, but it's a completely different thing when you see it in a person's life, in a regular person. That's why I want you to hear from someone in our church. This person has experienced a deep and profound grief, but she's also experienced the joy that comes from Jesus. So let's watch this together. Hi, my name is Kim. Um, I've been coming to Plum Creek um, for almost 50 years now. Um, I was raised in the church. I was fortunate enough to be brought up in a Christian home. And because of that, I've been able to rely on my faith and um, as I go through daily struggles of life. I think one of the most difficult things a person can go through in life is the death of a loved one or family member. And it's especially difficult when it's a child because it goes against the natural progression of the way things are supposed to happen in life. My daughter Shelby passed away four and a half years ago. If there's anything I've learned over the years that, that God knows what's going to happen next. And in that days, in the few days preceding her death, um, each family member got to spend some quality time with her and that turned out to be a great comfort uh, in the days to come. When we left the hospital, uh, we sat in the car because we didn't know what to do after she had passed. And one thing that Brad always knows comforts me is he turns the radio to the message and that usually helps. And as soon as he turned the radio on, the song I Can Only Imagine came on. And some people would call that a coincidence, but I call that a God thing. Um, as the verses were playing and we were listening, I felt this warm sensation that I was being held and comforted. And I felt like God was telling me that she was safe, she was with him, she was whole again. And it was like no feeling I had ever had before. I don't know how people without faith can survive just the tragedies of life. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. And I prayed daily for God's comfort and for the strength to just wake up each day and go about business and survive each day as it came. Um, for the first few days um, after she passed, it was almost like a shock every morning. I would fall asleep fine at night, but as soon as I would wake up in the morning, I would remember that she was gone. And I would just be filled with this all-encompassing, overwhelming grief every morning as soon as I woke up. And I thought, after several days, I thought, I can't keep doing this. Something's gotta give. So I started looking for verses on grief and, um, death um, and just anything that I could read to find comfort in the scripture 
time and time again in my search, I came across Psalm 35, where it says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And so I tried to figure out what God was telling me in that and where I was gonna find this joy. So I started thinking of trying to hold on to the good memories and think of happier times. And then I thought back to two years earlier when Shelby overdosed the first time and she went through recovery and she went from this shy, anxious, sad person to this beautiful butterfly who impacted everyone she came in contact with. She had so many friends that just couldn't wait to be around her and flocked to her as soon as she came in the room. So as the mornings went by, I would still wake up and that first thought would still be, she's gone. But then that second thought would be, thank you for the two years that we got to spend with her that we didn't have to have. If she hadn't survived the first time, it would have been a totally different situation. But we did have those two years with her and they were two beautiful years with her as she went through recovery and became the person that she was supposed to be. The mind is such a powerful thing and you can be so consumed with your grief that you stop taking care of yourself and you stop taking care of those around you and you really have to pull yourself out of that however you can. Of course, mine was with scripture and um, Shelby loved music and as much as um, her music would sometimes annoy me because she knew every word to every song, no matter what channel you put the radio on. I found a lot of comfort in music, um, especially when I went back to work. Um, I thought that work would be a nice distraction. My boss wanted me to stay out longer, but I felt that it was something I needed to do to try to continue with my normal daily life, my new normal daily life. So when I first returned to work, I would close my door so that no one would come in and the boss had told people not to bother me. Um, and I had my headphones on, my earbuds in every day, and I listened to It Is Well With My Soul for over eight hours every day on a continuous loop for days and days on end. And when I first started listening to it, I thought, is it ever gonna be okay again? But then as I kept listening to it day in and day out, every day, it eventually became okay, and it became well with my soul. So appreciate Kim being willing to share some of her story with us. And I can't say it any better than that verse from Psalm 30. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's my prayer for all of you today. Some of you especially need that joy right now. So I'm praying that you will experience it, not just way down the road in heaven, but right here in this life, right here in this moment. So let's pray. 
Father, you can provide the things that no one else can provide. No one is like you. We praise you for your power and your glory and your love, and I thank you so much that you have reached down to us and you allow us to be accepted. You allow us to experience your presence. You allow us to have the promise of eternal life and and you allow us to have this joy. So I pray that for everyone who needs it. We all need it, but some of us especially do right now. So I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.